So we brought out three main points, a few it's back. Number one, about declaration. It should be on the screen, Nick. Thank you, buddy. Number one, declaration is most powerful when we simply hear what God is saying, we wrap faith around it, and then we say it. Then we said this one, number two, there's a preceding word from heaven regarding everything that is before you. And here's the one I want to look at for just a few minutes because it really ties in with the sermon for today. Declaration starts in the unseen realm and manifests in the natural realm. We have to have the understanding that everything we do in life starts in the unseen realm. If we don't understand that, then we will actually frustrate the grace of God in our lives. Because we will wonder why are things not happening, what's the hindrance here, not understanding what's going on. Mark 11. These are all on the screen. Seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see for help so he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one eat fruit from you again. His disciples were listening. Verse 20. And as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. So he released a word that no one would ever eat your fruit again, and the tree begins to die from the invisible to the visible. Because what I want to discuss today with you is, is manifesting your unseen word. Prophecy is a seed in your life that is not seen now. But I have learned through 18 years, and my list is definitely not an exhaustive list, but I have learned keys to take the unseen and make it seen. And I want to give you those today. So I want, you to just, I want you to think that you have prophetic words. They're there now. They're incubated. By the way, let me just say this. I know we've hit this point a lot, and I want to hit this again. I just want to drive this point home because it's so important. Your prophetic words will not happen because God said it. It won't. It won't, it won't, it won't. I hear people say all the time, if it's God's will, it's going to happen. That's the biggest lie. I hear people say, if it's God's will, I'm going to have that job. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. We, we, we say things, and we put it, everything on God. And if it happens, it's God. If it doesn't happen, it wasn't God. And, and that can actually hinder us in a great way. Because, why? yes, God is sovereign in the sense that God answers to no one. God has chosen to co-labor with man for what he wants man to do in the earth. I will not get up in the morning and come in here and work because God makes me. I will get up because my wife kicks me out of the bed and says, go to work, Paul. It's not that God makes me come in here and do what I do here tomorrow or Tuesday. I will not walk in my prophetic assignment because it's the will of God. People will die today and go to hell, and it will be not the will of God. We have to break this thought that says, if it's God, it's going to happen. No, it doesn't. That's one of the biggest lies that the devil has brought into the church today and has handicapped many Christians. Because they think, well, if it's God, it's going to happen. No. I'm going to break that lie off this place. <laughs> I am. Because why? That, that's the key from us being a church who just is here to a church who actually begins to influence everything around us. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day, and uh, they had something bad happen, and they said, it must have been God's will. I'm like, no, it wasn't God's will. That was the farthest thing from God's will. But we're so trained in the South and in biblical Christianity in South that if it happens, it's God. And it's not the case. So I want you just to think from that thought today. What you think? So here's what I want you to give you. I want to give you six 
sense thoughts I have today about just what I've discovered in my own personal journey. And I got scripture about these up. Number one, you must have a firm conviction that the word you heard was indeed a word from God. You have to know that the word you have is a word from God. Mark 13. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky place, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because there was no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out, and others fell on the good soil and yielded their crop, some a hundredfold, and some sixty, and some thirty. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky place, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word. Notice that the word will always bring persecution or affliction. It will always bring that. Immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the word, and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some 100 fruits, some 60, and some 30. So we have to understand this. The word is always being attacked because the word has creative power. You have to understand that the word of God has creative ability within it. Matter of fact, let me uh, backtrack. Don't worry about it, Nick. But I wrote this down, and I spoke this last week. The desire of heaven is that our hearts and mouth fully align with heaven's word in every case. The creative power of kingdom speech is found only in full agreement with heaven's word. What happened? In Luke 1, Elizabeth is pregnant with the child, and while Zechariah is in the temple, the angel says, your, your wife is pregnant, and the angel has to shut his mouth. Why? Because Zechariah will abort the plan of God by what he says. So he shuts his mouth, and then when the baby is born, they ask Zechariah what the baby's name should be. And he takes the tablet and he writes his name should be John. Now, that was really weird because his name should have been Zacharias after the father's lineage. But he says his name is John. What happens when he, when he came in alignment with Heaven's word, it opened his mouth. So when our hearts and our mouth align, it opens our mouth to have creative speech. Does that make sense? That's the power of being congruent between what's in my heart and what comes out of my mouth. And most people in here, when I say in here, just in in general, not in here, in here, just in here. Just, we ain't congruent. How do you know that? Because I look at what comes out of your mouth. You say one thing, but your life demonstrates something else. You know, I don't have to judge, you know what? This whole thing about grace and judging people. If I go by an apple tree, that's not judging you. I'm looking at the fruit it's producing. That's an apple tree. That's not judging you. I'm looking at the fruit it's producing. So if I really have the nature of Christ in my heart, 
then what should manifest out of my life is his nature. I've said it before. If you squeeze a grape, you're going to get grape juice. If you squeeze an orange, you're going to get orange juice. If you squeeze a Christian, you should get Christ. (laughs) But most times you don't. What happens? Because we're not congruent. And therefore, we say things and they have no power within them. Amen, Paul. That's good preaching. I ain't in myself. <laughs> Does it make sense? Okay. I mean, th- this is huge. I mean, listen, I've got so many prophetic words. I do not need another prophetic word in my life. Will I take it? Yeah, I'll take it. But honestly, I've got 2,500. I am still trying to walk out now. That's an exaggeration. It's like, let me, let me walk out the ones I have now, and then we'll get another one. You know? I mean, I, I, I got drawers of just prophetic words, prophetic words, and prophetic tapes. I'm like, good Lord Jesus. But you have to have the conviction that the word you heard was indeed the word of God. Why? Because the word is going to be tried. You know, here, here's the thing. People will say, how do you know you have a word from God? Well, I don't know if I can give you just a solid biblical answer. I think, I think number one, it has the line with scripture. But even in that sense, you have to be careful. And here's why I say that. Scripture is clear that we are to go into all the one and preach the gospel, correct? Thank you, Cody. Because you, you, we can talk. Yes. Matthew, 8, Matthew 28, Mark 16, go into all the one and preach the gospel, correct? Green light. Yet there's times in the book of Acts where Paul was actually withheld from going to different regions in preaching the gospel. That's part of the tension in the kingdom, is that you have a green light to preach into all nations, but yet there's a timing to everything you have. So, yes, I do use the word as my alignment for the will of God. But even in that, is that something I'm called to do? I don't always use prophetic words as guidelines. Because what if you, what if they're all wrong? Hey, Mark, the Lord says you're going to go to Africa today and live in the huts. And Mark and Kim moved to Africa and their lives fall apart. Because Mark listened to my really dumb prophetic word. Make sense? So I want to make sure the word is always being tested. So yes, I do use prophetic words as a guideline. What, what are people saying over and over, especially those in other regions? I don't want to just take the people in my house. It's not I don't value that, but I want somebody here and somebody here and somebody there. I was you know, with a guy the other day, and I released this prophetic word over him, and I go, I'm, and I'm thinking, this is not God. This is stupid. I'm like, this is stupid. And I get in the word, he goes, you're the third person to switch who told me that. I'm like, well, thank God. What happened? Three different people in three different regions began to give him the exact same word. So for me, and just my own personal journey was, you know, the thought of going to nations and the thought of wanting to go. So, you know, here I am as a 20-year-old kid who gets a prophetic word says, I see God taking you to nations. From the time I get that first prophetic word, which is in 1997, I was 20, till I went, it was 2005, it was eight years. Eight years I was believing this word that said, you'll go to nations. So what do I do? God, I'm going to nations. I'm going to nations. Going. I could have wasted eight years of my life to train nations. But something, something inside me just resounded that that was the will of God for my life. And that word was tried over and over and over. Where this word ever happened. But you know, I, I just had a conviction in my heart that this is the word of God. I'm not going to let this word die. I'm going to give myself to this word. And since that time, we've been to 12 different nations, or 12 different trips. And right now, I'm fixing to go up to the uh, Somali border in February. Yeah, it's awesome. 
Open them up. Man. And so I had this conviction. This is the work of God. And this could apply to your own personal life or healing or deliverance or finances. That man, you're just convinced that nothing will move you. God wants us to be so persuaded that we have a work and we are not moved. We'll talk about that later on as well. Number two, the condition of your heart has everything to do with the harvest of the seed. The condition of your heart has everything to do with the harvest of the seed. Mark 4, the soil produces crops by itself. Notice there, it doesn't mention the seed. The soil produces crops. Are you wayside? Are you stony? Are you thorny? Are you good ground? So here's the thought. We've always said if you have good seed and good soil, it'll produce a harvest. That's not true. You've got to have climate. Because I take a palm tree that's a good seed and good soil and put it in Alaska, and that baby is not going to grow wine because the climate's not correct. How's the climate of your heart today? Just a question we need to ask ourselves. I think, I think introspection is so important. Not condemnation, not guilt, but Lord, what is in my heart? That's why, again, I believe in inner healing so much. That's why I do inner healing. That's why I go to it. That's why I let myself be exposed. Why? Because I don't need anything in my heart that would, that would hinder the purpose of God for my life. Or that would cause me to lash out at my wife or somebody in here or on my job, or my son, you know, things get embedded in our hearts, guys. They, if you don't think that happens, you, you're deceived. Things get embedded. That's why we must make sure our hearts are pure. That's why Jesus said this, Matthew 15 on the screen, but Jesus said, from the heart, these things come, fornication, adultery, perversion. It comes from the heart. So in Proverbs 4, it tells us to guard our heart with all diligence. Guard your heart with because from it flows the wellspring of life. Your heart is the place that life comes from. Your heart is the most valuable thing you have. One of the most powerful prophetic words I ever got was I last year in California when I was at the School of Prophets. And it was a great word about this and this and the most, it was like a six-minute word, but the most special part of that was daddy loves your heart and he wants you to guard your heart and that was really good words in it what i really cherished but just to sort of god help me and have the grace to keep my heart guarded because i want a pure heart i want to be guys i do I, purity for me isn't just a thought it's a life i want to live and as long as and i can tell you how pure you are you are you are as pure as your heart is pure you do nothing apart from what's already in your heart. You, really, that's true. You're bitter because your heart has got bitterness in it already. You have rage because your heart has rage in it already. You have adultery because your heart has already got it in there already. It's, it really is true. That's why he says, guard your heart with all diligence. It comes back to this thought. You have two gates in your life. You have eye gates and you have ear gates. Nothing gets into your heart but by what you see and by what you hear. That's why I have to guard my eyes. 
and I have to guard my ears. Why? Because what I take in through my ears and my eyes goes into the heart of me. That's why Jesus said it's not what comes out of a man that defiles him. I mean, it's not what goes into the man that defiles him, it's what comes out of the man. That's why he rebuked the Pharisees. They, they thought they were unclean because they ate with dirty hands. He's like, that's not the issue, guys. It's not dirty hands. It's you have a dirty heart. It's the truth. The condition of your heart has everything to do with the harvest of your seed. You know what? Last Friday, I was in Atlanta with a, a regional gathering of some leaders. It was great. 35 people. And this guy named um, Paul Yadel from the Philippines. Oh, my God. He rocked us, man. God, it was good. And he was talking about um, he was talking about impartation and, and uh, soaking prayer. And he made a statement that was just so just so so plain but so radical. He goes, he goes, man, every time you get prayed for, you receive an impartation. He goes, you don't gotta jerk and shake. He goes, there's an impartation delivered into your heart, but do you steward it well? And is your heart pure to keep it and receive it? I thought, well, that's a thought. Because, man, I, I believe so much in impartation. And how many times have I went away from a meeting and think, well, I didn't, I didn't shake, so I didn't get an impartation. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Well, they shook. They got so I didn't get anything, God. Not realizing that there's always a seed. When you lay hands, there's a seed released. And if we're faithful to steward that, what can that produce in our lives? Thank you, Danielle. We'll buy you a steak. I'm buying steak dinners, by the way, guys, the more amens I get. <laughs> Number three. That was in the flesh, Cody. Wasn't a real amen. Number three. Does it make sense, guys? Okay, just want you to check in with me. Number three. The words you hear must be mixed with faith. Very valid. The words you hear must be mixed with faith. Hebrews 4. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us just as they also but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Amen. You want filet me? You're on a real by You look like a real by guy. Real by. <laughs> Amen. I like that, Nathan. Okay, now here's what we've established already. The word is a seed. Matthew 13, Mark 4. The Greek word for seed is sperma. S-P-E-R-M-A. And it means something sown. Here's what I want to suggest. If the word is a seed, then faith is the egg. <laughs> because without an egg and a seed, you don't have no conception. So in this passage, there is no faith or egg present. Therefore, conception cannot take place. The word they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith. Again, it shows you that you can have a word and it's still not profit in your life because there's no faith with it. Faith is essential, guys. It really is. 1 Kings 18. Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the, of the abundance of a heavy rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crashed down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees. Now this is interesting. What's he doing? He's actually he's actually in the birthing position. He actually put his head between he's actually in a position that a woman would be in to give birth to a child. What happens? He hears the word from the Lord that rain's coming, and he aligns his heart through faith to get in that position to begin to birth it out. So 
So what does he do? He sends his servant up the mountain seven times and says, do you see the cloud coming? So you have the seed, the word of God saying the rain's coming. He positions his heart through, through an act of obedience by sending his servant up the mountain. And what happens? Rain comes. A big rain comes. What happened? The word was mixed with faith. I, I, I used this one last uh, few weeks back, but you, know, you talk about uh, Israel going to the promised land. In Numbers 13, in the word of the Lord was, I have given you the land. The land is yours. Go ahead and take it. it that was the word. You know, it's like, I'm like, God, I don't want to be dumb like Israel. Because they were really dumb. The land is yours, guys. Go ahead and take it. And so they go in the land, and they, they see the land flowing with milk and honey, and these grapes are humongous. And they have this word from God, this is your land. I'm giving you this land. And they come back and say, man, you know what? There's some big grapes, and there's milk and honey, but there's giants in there to God. You know, I discovered... If you step into anything and there's no resistance, it ain't God. It just isn't. There's always giants. Why? Because God wants to give somebody a defeat. <laughs> That's really true. I have learned anything in life I have ever stepped into that was no resistance, it did not last. Why? Because it was me. Honestly, God, truth. But God gave them a word. God gave them a word that would defeat their enemy. And instead, they came back and said, man, it's a good land, but there's giants. And they said, we look like grasshoppers ourselves. The problem was bigger than the promise or provision of God. We can't let the problem become bigger than God's promise or his provision. And God's word was his promise and his provision that he would give them the land. But they exalted the problem and not God's word. What happens? Caleb and Joshua are the only two that says we can take the land. And so for 40 years, a nation wanders in the wilderness and they die until everyone 20 above dies off. 10 spies affected the whole nation. Millions died because of 10 people had unbelief. Unbelief affects not only you, but those around you guys. It really does. It's why we can't be people of unbelief, because it will affect my wife, my kid, my mom, my dad, my family, my circle of influence. I want to be a Joshua and Caleb that says, we are more than able to take this. Is that a trumpet? Good Lord Jesus. Or was that net phone's vibrating phone back there? Oh, man. It's true. It really is true. Fourth point. Number four. This is, this is a real key, I think. We must not waver in unbelief or fear when the word does not manifest in the season we think it should. You notice that word there, we think it should? I think it's in the Bible that to everything there's a season. That's three this, each chapter three. <coughs> 1 Samuel chapter 10. And you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifices, and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. Now, Nick, do you have those scriptures on the screen? Thank you, sir. 
there was a lot to copy and paste, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to use Nick Feltman and his anointing on that computer program. That's okay, man. Is that the NIV? Good Lord, man, I didn't get you saved. The NASV. It's okay. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Uh, we're going to go, okay, go. I can't say that. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel, 2,000 who were with them at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, and a thousand who were with them, Jonathan at Gibeah and Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistines' outposts at Gibeah, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So Israel heard the news, Saul had attacked the Philistines' outposts, and now Israel had become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 chariots. Soldiers as numerous as the sand of the seashore, they went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth Avim, whatever that means. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and their army had, was hard pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks in the pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, a time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. Keep that in mind. So he said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering. And Saul offered the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. Man, good Lord Jesus. <laughs> oh, Lord, what have you done, Saul? What have you done, asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Mitmash, I thought, then the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I will not have sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you Gave you, if you had, if you had, if you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom would not endure. The Lord has sought on the man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. What happens? Samuel does not wait. Saul does not wait. And his kingdom is ripped from him. I mean, do you realize he did this? And as soon as he got done, Samuel showed up. If he had waited 30 minutes, an hour, who knows how long it took to do what he did, his kingdom would have been established forever. But what happens? He got in fear and unbelief. Matter of fact, if you go on to uh, chapter 15, the command from Samuel is to go and destroy all and kill Agag. What does he do? He doesn't kill them all. And Saul, Samuel wound up killing them for him. And that day the kingdom was ripped out of his hands completely. And while he reigned in the 40 years, he just had a position without, without anointing. Guys, we cannot waver in unbelief or fear when the word does not manifest in the season we think it should. What do you do, Paul, when you, when you begin to get in fear? Well, here's what I've learned. When I get in fear, you know what I've discovered in my life? I have moved away from love. Because there is no fear in love. Doesn't mean I'm not saved, doesn't mean I don't love God. It's just I have discovered, I can't explain this. 
I understand that I'm in God and God's in me, but yet there's somehow I can move out of that. I, I, I just, I don't have words. But I can tell you, when I get in fear, I get anxious, anxiety, I have moved out of the place of love. And that's why I begin to move in fear, in worry, in grief, in anxiety. Why? Because I've moved. So what happens? I repent, and I get back in love, and guess what happens? Fear and worry is gone. Why? Because there is no fear in love. Because God has perfected them. So what I've discovered, and what I have discovered in my own life, is when I have continuous fear in my heart at some level in my life, that's the place in my life that God wants to perfect in his love. So it's like this. It's like when it comes to healing and signs and warnings and miracles, there is no fear there at times. But there's other things in my heart, like finances, it's like, ooh, God. I need to come through God. I'm getting better at that, but I'm asking the Lord to perfect that part of my life with his love. Therefore, I'm never in fear about money. Doing a lot better than what I have in the past. But I'm just being honest. I'm just a really honest, transparent guy. You, what you see is what you get, baby. <laughs> just is. But we can't waver in fear when the word doesn't matter fast. And I just learned this, that to God, his timing is always perfect. It really is. Again, I don't hold to the thought that God causes bad things in our lives, but God can certainly use bad things for our good. Just like with Ricardo Pat there, driving the mobile last night to go preach this morning, and his van breaks down. I get a wake up at 535 text message from Andrew. Hey, my friends broke down. Can y'all help him? Sure. Man, just made a divine connection today with this guy. Was that God that his van broke down? Nope. But God used it to make a divine connection for this house. That's the beauty of God. You know, Bill Hammond says this. Bill Hammond says that delays are not denials. They're designed to bring dedication. Not down, get knocked down, get knocked down, but you're going to get back up. A righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets back up. Amen, Paul. Number five, I got two more and I'll be done. Number five, when God speaks a word to us, he is never moved by the physical limitation that would try and hinder that word, and neither should we. God is not moved. When God told Noah to build the ark, God was not moved by rain. Here is Noah, who is building a boat for something he has never seen before in his life. Can you imagine that? God comes to you and says, hey, I'm going to destroy the earth, and I'm going to send him rain. What, what's rain, God? Uh, well, you're seeing a little bit. And Noah begins to build for what he has not seen yet. He's never moved. Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Well, that's good, God, but I'm uh, 100 years old. And my wife is uh, about 90 herself. It doesn't move God. Peter, walking in the water. It's just water. God is never moved by what is before us because he is so much bigger than what's before us. And, guys, that's what I've been discovering in my life is if, God, if it doesn't move God, why does it move me? That's a good thought. Listen, I realize, I realize we're human and we have emotions. Like, let me just say this. A couple months ago, my mom called me. She was in a lot of pain. Uh, and they wanted to send her to uh, have a CT scan done. And so 
I leave here and I shut down my stuff and I'm, and I'm driving and I'm just telling you, I'm praying in fear. Because you know, I don't know what's going on. It's my mom. She's in pain. She's hurting. not sure what's happening. So I begin to pray in fear. I mean, I'm praying and the Lord says, you need to stop. He says, you're praying in fear. I was like, well, yes, sir. I begin to stop and I repent and I begin to actually just wait. And I, I found myself praying from a place of love and faith. Walked in and she's completely here when I got there. What happened? I was letting her pain dictate how I reacted to it. Instead of staying in faith and rest and declaring from my lips what the will of God was. See, a lot of times we do things calling it faith when really it's just us in fear. And things ain't changing. And that's what happened that day. It's like, man, I'm in fear. Because I don't know what's happening to my mom. That's my mom and I am a mama's boy. Tell you this day, I'm 200 and some odd pounds. I love my mama. I ain't ashamed of it. Love mama. She makes good food too, by the way. That's why you look like this. Love mama. And, and that, that thing came out. So I've had to learn in my life, when anything contrary happens to the word of God, that I don't look at that, I don't look at what's before me, I look at what God said. God, you said this, and I choose to rest on what you said, because what you said has creative power. I don't understand it, I'm human, and I might fall down, and that's the beauty of having people I can call. I'm struggling today, guys, will you pray for me? I have a network of about five guys I can call. Hey, what's your, I'm struggling, can you help me? Pray through this thing with me. That's the beauty of family. That's the beauty of having a community around you. Because when you can't do it, they're there to help you and pick you up. That's why in this house, guys, we have to build community. We have to. You have to we have to. If we don't, we're sunk. Yeah, I, I said it. We're sunk. Because there's life in community. And if not, this is just some organizational meeting place where we do things for no reason but just to gather together for, for, for some dumb reason. God wants us to do life together. That's his heart. Life together. Last thought. I'll be done. Surround yourself with people who are manifesting what you carry in your heart. Luke 1. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at that time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaping her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice the angel didn't tell Mary to go to her house. But he says she's in her sixth month. Elizabeth is now manifesting what she's carrying. She is now showing. There's something about surrounding yourself with people who are manifesting what your heart desires. That's a good word, guys. Why? Elizabeth, old age should not have kids. Mary, a virgin, should not have kids. But Elizabeth is demonstrating something that Mary is going to do as well. The impossible. So she surrounds somebody who's manifesting the impossible as well. And that produces faith in her heart. There's something about surrounding yourself with people 
who are doing what you want to do that builds faith in your heart for you to walk in as well. So come Samuel could get around prophets and begin to prophesy. Samuel wasn't a prophet, but he got around prophets and began to prophesy. There's something about um, there's something about people that God will put in your life that when you get around them, they will begin to unveil the grace in your own heart. I don't have to say it any better than that. That's why I am so big in having people in my heart and life who are so much further along in the things of God than I am. Because I understand this. I understand relationships are two-way streets. There's, there's a relationship I have with people that they're, uh, I'm here and they're here. And I have those other ones where I'm here and they're here. It doesn't matter where we are on the scale. It's the fact that we're doing life together. And I realize they pull something out of me. Whether they're here or they're here, they're pulling something out of my own life. That's, again, why we can't do life as individuals. That's why even my old pastor would say that even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. <laughs> it's the most dangerous place to be is for you to become an island to yourself. It really is. So Mary leaves in a hurry and surrounds herself with Elizabeth. And she's like, yes, yes, I'm in the presence of somebody who's carrying what's hidden in my heart, guys. And I've just learned in my own life, as I've met people the past six or seven years, whether it was uh, Abner, and, you know, he came in my life at such a, at such a crucial moment. I can't, I can't tell you, probably I'll never be able to tell you why it was so crucial when he came in my life, but it was very, very crucial. I don't know what my wife and I would be with him in our life right now. I really don't. It, and it's not just spiritual things. He helped us in a time of hell breaking loose in our house. Not between, not between us, but through just a series of events. Or people like Ruth, who's became a mom in my life. These people that God has just brought, or whether it's Eddie and Brittany or Roy and Kelly from Deep Alive, They've just been God's sins that God has just soaked into my heart. See, I'm always looking for people who, who don't, they're not called like I'm called, but we, we carry the same DNA. That's why I tell my wife a lot. My family, I have more family outside my family than I do in my family. I don't know if that makes sense, but I've got, I've got aunts and uncles I haven't seen in 25 years. Matter of fact, I had an aunt die a few weeks back. When we went to the funeral. I saw a cousin I saw in 35 years. Just how it is in my household, it's just messed up. But I have people that we are no, no blood related, but yet we are family. And man, they pointed to me and I pointed to them, and it's the most beautiful thing. That's why I know it's like Nathan's heart as well for this house. Just going back to the sort of how do we really build community in this house? Well, man, Freedom Point really is a family. You know, we can pick up the phone and say, Paul, I had a bad day. I cussed somebody out. It's okay. You know what? I've done it too. Somehow we have to get off this step, this thought of being so super spiritual and religious and say, been there, done that, buddy. Let's move on with it. And be skin and bone and flesh. <laughs> I want to encourage you this week. Sur surround yourself with people. Who can pour into your life? You know, one thing I'm looking for is that me, me and Lee had this discussion. It's like just the way things are happening and doors are opening. It's like, it's like. I, let me just. I'm going to just say this. Freedom Point doesn't need me to exist. I realize that it doesn't. I can move on and Freedom Point will be fine. 
But I realize there's something I bring to the table at Greener Point as well. You know, Lee and I was discussing, how can we begin to find people in the house we can begin to pour ourselves into? Not to be Lee Jr. and Paul Jr., but to be their own self, but yet just the stuff we carry in our own lives begin to release to those around us. So I'm thinking, how can I begin to do that, Lord? So I'm looking for people who I can just pour my heart into, mentor, just give, give away what I've what I received from other people. 